Welcome back to the Fourth Way Podcast. Today we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. As a reminder, the format is that I will be reading a sonnet I wrote as part of my children's compilation, and then expound on the poem and discuss. This is the eighth sonnet I wrote and is represented by the gem Topaz. This will cover Matthew 6, 1 through 4, which discusses giving without fanfare. Topaz is a yellow gem, and it is said to signify wealth, and uh, it was believed to have the property of being able to attract gold. The greed of gold born in the soul abounds, a voice inside our heads which drives us mad. Our one goal, to control, always resounds, pride-completing endogenous dyad. Wealth makes it all too easy to be smug and become a bad friend like Eliphaz. Or even worse, wealth fabricates humbug, making God a servant to our topaz. So heed the words of him with golden mouth. Never allow complacency to set. For our God is the Lord of Sabaoth, before whom one day all knees will be bent. Give your gifts now with generosity and learn wherein lies true security. The first stanza shows us that greed is born by the soul, which means carried by it, but doubly it means that it is born in our souls and generates from our depraved souls. James tells us that temptation and sin are born out of our inner desires. Money is not evil, but our evil hearts, when they come in contact with wealth, exhibit evil. In this stanza, uh, endogenous dyad simply means a dyad or duality that is inherent or internal, right? endogenous. This both means that we are a duality, body and soul, but also that this problem is two parts, pride seeking control. In our world, wealth is perhaps the greatest way in which we can be in control to which most of us have access. Also, another meaning, I'll quote since it's, uh, it, it's complex here. There's also a double meaning intended here, as dyad should trigger the thought of the very close word dryad. Dryads were the living beings who inhabited trees in Greek mythology. While often considered beautiful and wonderful, encounters with them could also be very dangerous, leaving one mad, dumb, etc. Here, endogenous dyad, or dryad, signifies that this pride and control are the true spirit residing within our corporeal trunks or bodies a spirit which then encounter when which when encountered and fed can perpetuate and exacerbate our maddened state now come to the second stanza so eliphaz was one of job's friends and he came from a land known for its wisdom many interpretations of the name eliphaz show it as meaning el or god as an elohim or Melchizedek, um, and it, they think that it means God is fine gold, El Lephaz. This name adds to the gold theme, but so does Eliphaz's actions. Eliphaz promoted what we would call a prosperity gospel today, at least it, it kind of seems that way. He, a wealthy and wise man, sat smugly in his perceived wealth, he thought his wealth and security were tied to his morality. He was untouchable by God because he was a good man. Conversely, the judgment which befell Job must have been because Job was morally compromised. In this way, Eliphaz was blind to his own sinfulness before God, but also blind to the great insecurity in his life despite his current well-being. 
His trust was not in God, but in his own perceived morality and wealth. Wealth constructs a deceitful story, or humbug. Right? It, um, it, it fabricates, and that's, the word fabricates uses this double meaning here, which is it creates, but it also fictionalizes. It tells us that we are in control, and we are good because we earned what we have, and uh, this makes God subservient to us. Lord of Sabaoth occurs twice in the New Testament, of which I'm aware, Romans 9.29 and James 5.4. And at least in the King James Version, it goes untranslated, and the, uh, the word, as far as I'm aware, means armies. Also, I make a reference to the man with golden mouth, which refers to John Chrysostom, whose name meant golden mouthed, and he was supposedly an unparalleled orator. I use him here because his name is yet another reference to gold in this poem, which which uh, those references kind of go throughout. But I also use Chrysostom because in his book On Wealth and Poverty, he addresses wealth and greed. Of it, he says uh, this great quote. He says, In this way, luxury often leads to forgetfulness. As for you, my beloved, if you sit at table, remember that from the table you must go to prayer. Fill your belly so moderately that you may not become too heavy to bend your knees and call upon your God. So in this stanza, I allude to Chrysostom's quote, um, reminding individuals that, that we must never be complacent. We must remember our God and that our God is the ultimate judge before whom we all kneel. If we are too caught up in our wealth now and running after it rather than bowing the knee before God, we will one day end up bowing the knee before him anyway, though it will be under different circumstances. Matthew 5 tells us to be perfect like God is perfect, and then goes on to describe generosity as a part of how such a feat is to be accomplished. By giving our money away without consideration of another's praise, or without consideration of the practicality of the act, we learn to trust God both for our means and for the outcome of our gifts. As we learn to be generous, our faith in God grows and our dependence on wealth diminishes. Ironically, it is in this giving away of our wealth and placing our trust in God that our security grows. Just as King found that by getting rid of his gun, his security grew, um, so I think we find that in, in giving away the perceived control that wealth gives us, we also find that we are more in control because we are finally submitting to the control of the one who controls everything. There's a lot more to dig out in that poem, so I, I encourage you to go read the show notes on it. So That's all for now. So peace, and because I'm a pacifist, when I say it, I mean it.